everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 512, Stories Around the World. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. While well, we were both on uh, little excursions, so how was how was your trip to London Town, as old friend of the uh, podcast Sam would call it? Yeah, it was good, and, and saw a friend of the podcast Sam uh, while I was there. Ex-friend it was good. Of the podcast. Yeah, I also got to see friend of the podcast. Just to use that again, John Buckley play for Blackburn Rovers in the League Cup on last Wednesday against West Ham and saw the longest penalty shootout I'll probably ever see in person. The first 19 penalties were scored, which was kind of mind blowing. And what's uh, the, did this prompt you to look up what the record is? Cause I didn't. thought about it, but I did not look it up, but it ha- that has to be close. So uh, for I mean, instance, what, for those who don't follow Blackburn Rovers, they had their league cup match against West Ham and it went to penalties and each of the first, what, 10 players on each, no, nine players on each team made it. And then a Blackburn player made it. And then the West Ham player missed on the 20th penalty. The 20th. Yeah. So the, I've just looked up the longest penalty shootout is 27 rounds. So a total of 54 yeah, But that doesn't penalties. mean that they made it consecutively. Like someone could have no. missed and missed. Although looking at this 54 penalties of quickly, uh, most of them were, were scored. Yeah. So they would have... Just seeing 19 in a row is pretty crazy. It is. I mean, it's also one of those things. And we, had, we were directly behind the goal where the penalties were being taken. And it is one of those things from the angle we had, uh, you know, sometimes with the TV angle that you get, because it's you know, you're not directly behind it. The goal looks smaller. You know, you kind of have that angle where you don't. And and when you're directly behind, the goal does, even with professional goalkeepers being, you know, six foot four or five, six, whatever they are, the goal still looks really big when you see someone take a penalty. So you, in your mind, you're then like, well, they should score. And then okay. I think and after well, and, about... And the one that missed too was actually a really nice... Crossbar. Yeah, it was a nice kick. He hit the yeah. underside of the crossbar and just missed it hitting like the under and going in it kind of hit under and just went straight down like right in front of the goal line yeah but it's one of those things i'd say after about the first i don't know 12 went in then you start to get into the mode of like you're not supposed to miss really right so maybe they'll just almost never miss because it wasn't even they, they weren't coming close to missing i think of the as you point out the penalty that actually missed was you know, hit the crossbar, so it wasn't saved, and it was close to being an excellent penalty. Of yeah. the penalties that were taken in total, of the, uh, I mean, only I think the goalkeepers only went the right way on three occasions. Yeah. So, and the last were, Blackburn player to score was actually with the I thought the closest one getting saved because he yeah. went the right way, and I think he might have maybe got like a piece of it almost. It like I think it like got a piece of it, and then it went off the post and in. Yeah, but for the most part, they were just sending the goalkeeper the right way, waiting for the goalkeeper to move. And so you just, it was a very weird feeling 
because you just at that moment in time it just kind of feels never ending almost uh and the tension both builds and dissipates in a strange way because you're just sort of accepting of the fact that it's going forever but yeah it was it was a very good atmosphere um and and good fun nice stay out never been i hadn't been to the london stadium before so uh, that was interesting and uh, sam nearly became the leader of the the blackburn firm for those under unfamiliar firm being the term that gets used for oh the hooligan the hooligan groups and uh we found ourselves interacting with the the blackburn uh let's call them ruffians if we want to probably maybe not technically hooligans let's just call them avid supporters <laughs> as it turned out the one we were talking to was not even a supporter he was openly told us he was a manchester united supporter but he had just come down with some blackburn supporting friends down to watch the match and was looking for a fight. He was disappointed that he was unable to find one at this moment in time. Our conversation with him started because we were in one of the pubs that was closest to the ground before kickoff. And uh, I think he and Sam kind of exchanged some glances, and I think Sam maybe looked at him for slightly too long, at which moment in time he inquired as to what was going on in our group, Um, (laughs) which we were then able to... I think once he realized that none of us were West Ham supporters, everything sort of, he, he was a nice guy at that moment in time. And uh, we had a 10, 15 minute long conversation where he told us that he was amazed that 60 Blackburn supporters were able to walk into a, a West Ham pub and not have anything done to them. And that it was a sign of the times that you that it just showed how wimpy everyone was. That this how was possible. terrible these times are that people aren't getting jumped going to pubs. <laughs> yeah, this was the this was the second what an indication pub indication of the state of this world. <laughs> yeah, they they'd gone to one pub first, not managed to find a fight there. So this was the second pub on their journey. And at that moment in time, Sam said, "Well, I know the pubs where all the sort of diehard West Ham supporters go to." And the guy said, "Okay, great. Where is it?" Lead us there, Sam. (laughs) There's two of them. They're not that far away. I know exactly where they are. I go to them sometimes. And then the guy said, great, take us. And I think Sam had a moment of almost his mouth moving faster than his brain where he was going to commit to the idea of taking these these Blackbird supporters over there. And then fortunately, we were able to say, you know, like, look, it's only 15 minutes to kick off. We won't be going to any other bars before we go to the match. So... You know, nothing came of it. The guys were very friendly, though. We wished them well, and uh, we didn't see them in the stadium. But so, for I'm all sure... those wondering what happened to Sam, maybe this story gives you some indication of the downward spiral that Sam has uh, been yes. on since leaving the podcast. <laughs> yeah, now he is a you know, it's it's Green Street hooligans all of a sudden for him, and he's not helped by the fact, right? I think in the initial situation as well, he's not helped by the fact that. As someone with a shaved head, once you've spoken to him, he's not—he's definitely not giving off, you know, like skinhead vibes. But in a football, in a pub around a football ground just before kickoff, he at least maybe passes the initial vibe check based on physical outward appearances. So, oh dear, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was—it was eventful. The guy's story: the man—he was probably, I would say, in his mid sixties. So, you know, we had a little story Wait, time. what? That's a, oh, yeah. The, that's, that's a little uh, uh, curveball into the story. 
Yeah, he was probably in his mid-60s. The other people with him, the other Blackburn Spurs, were much younger. So he was clearly just more of the ringleader. But he he had some interesting scars on his face and forehead, enough to know that, you know, he wouldn't be the one you chose to mess with, I would say, you know. But was very friendly. We had a good conversation with him about football in general. Uh, and just, you know, he he told us, you know, he reminisced about the good old days where grounds, football grounds weren't built, you know, back when old traditional grounds were built right in close residential areas. So you would be walking down narrow streets right as you got towards the ground and you would just get jumped by a bunch of opposition supporters and have big fights in the middle of the road and how everything had been ruined by them deciding to build grounds in more isolated parts of cities or even in suburbs where there's parking lots and things around them. So it's just big open spaces. So you can't get trapped in or anything and just, you know, just a sign of the times, just life is not as good as it. the simple days in the 1970s and eighties when you go, you know, you go to a football match and might get killed. Well, on that note, I was going to go back to the fact that you said before watching the penalties that you feel you almost shouldn't be able to miss. And that kind of was going to make me make sure everyone's aware that we're going to be doing a preview of the World Cup and in lieu of the Euros debacle that uh, England had in their penalty shootout uh, finals against Italy, uh, being not being able to miss. Uh, but our next episode will be the World Cup preview. So we'll have potentially yes. some special guests on, some not so special guests, but people that are begging to come on. And we're just going to give them the, just <laughs> well, this, their two minutes of fame so they can say they've done something with their life. <laughs> so, no, that, that yes, in reference to that, uh, the next episode will have a friend of the podcast. All the stories have been told about him at different moments in time over the course of the podcast. He will be joining us to help us preview the World Cup itself. But, yeah, then during the World Cup, we will have some football guests on. Obviously, we've had commentators and football players and, and journalists on in the past. And over that kind of month-long period, we'll have some probably we'll be focusing on football a bit more heavily right during that period as it's the you know the biggest sporting event in the world basically Uh, so we'll be dedicating a lot more time and our guests will i guess be a bit more specialized and focused on on the world of football for that period of time so for everyone wanting more football content they'll definitely be getting that and i guess this is always a good opportunity to say follow us on on instagram and twitter and stuff and you can get advanced you know you can get some teasers about upcoming guests and also sometimes a way to interact with our guests before they come on or after they there but yeah just make sure to follow us there on social media but it should be uh things kick off i mean it it's a little bit to me a bit strange considering the world cup kicks off six days from now and it really doesn't feel that way it feels like you know the combination of it being the first ever winter world cup uh, also with uh, the location, I think just a general lack of excitement overall based on some of the kind of controversial elements associated with this World Cup. Uh, it means that... Eddie, just shut up and focus on football, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah we a, got the... Take a take a message out of the book of FIFA. From FIFA. Shut up and talk football. <laughs> no, it is true. They, we, we receive the directive and uh, we will... But no, it's, it is... It is a bit weird. It definitely does not feel as if the 
World Cup is is right around the corner, even though we've had all of the squads announced. And I also think the other weird thing, because of the 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 timing of the World Cup itself, some countries are playing some friendlies in the build up to the World Cup, but England, for example, are not. So you know, you'd normally have one or two matches pre-tournament that help you kind of get in the mood of like, okay, England are playing. Let's see how things are going. But this literally, you know, England play next Monday and and that will be the start of things. So it's a little bit, that also makes it a bit strange. Yeah. And, you know, I think we will have a lot of opportunity to talk about the the rosters and who was picked, who was left out, some notable people left out on, on a bunch of squads that have, have fans talking already. So I think it's something we can discuss. And obviously we're going to do most of the focus, I think on England and, you know, maybe a little bit on the U S cause that's our two biggest markets, but we will cover all the, we co- we'll cover all the countries and nations. Competing, well, but fr- Frank, as, as I told you the other day, we've had a bit of shift and in Canada. The, yeah. <laughs> and Canada, Canada is now okay. our second, according okay. to the East Canada is where our, our second biggest listenership is. And Canada, of course, are taking play, part in the world cup. So we might have to do, we might be one of the few podcasts. We'll have out to there talk that, a lot about Alfonso Davies, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly enough, I did look at the Canadian squad announcement just out of interest to see how many of them I, you know, really recognized. And obviously he plays as a left back. Uh, for Bayern Munich, I mean, he's arguably the best left back fastest, in the world. Fastest in the world. Fast, I mean, I think he's arguably the best left back in the world, but listed as a forward for Canada. So that might be a sign of strength. <laughs> listed <laughs> as the keeper for Canada. Yeah. yeah, wherever they need him, they'll just plug and play. But yeah, he's uh, that, that took me as a surprise because it actually, when I first looked at their squad announcement, I looked first at defenders did not see him mentioned and I thought, Oh no, is he injured or something and going to miss a world cup, which is just, he's such a shame as you know, there's a possibility. This is the only time Canada make the world cup in his career. So, you know, for to be one of the world's best players and not have the, the chance to at least somewhat yeah, showcase, injured, right? yeah. but I, I were, I was worried about that. And then, Oh no, he's, he's there just in a position. I did not assume he'd be listed under, which I, I mean, we're getting into it now, but it it must show you how talented he is because I understand when people think of like professional athletes, you know, they're, they're great athletes. They can do whatever. But when you're a professional athlete, it's so specialized at that sport to be able to go from a very, like two extremely different positions and probably like he's, I, I would probably say he's, hands down their best forward right you know like well otherwise why would you risk that why would you the, take the other his natural position the other issue here right i mean assuming he's playing like wide on the left the other interesting thing is just because of the the way in which formations have changed right now and the, the predominant way of playing is is you no longer have two up front you have one uh, you know one central attacking player and two players out wide those players get listed as forwards even though i guess in more traditional sense you'd still think of them as midfielders so like saka gets listed as a forward under the for the england squad but i don't i wouldn't think of saka as a forward so that's the other thing that's a little bit confusing is basically you know like you look at the england squad announcement and there's only a handful of midfielders so it kind of is strange initially to, to kind of take that first look at 
but it's the fact that like wide attacking players who previously would have just been wingers and classified as midfielders are now classified as actual forwards. But not. Left I'm not sure if I always. I don't always <laughs> agree. Yeah, I don't always agree with that because there are wide attacking players who are definitely forwards, and then there are wide attacking players who, you know, like Mbappe plays out wide all the time. He's obviously a forward, but there are wide mid. There are attacking midfielders who play out wide, like Phil Foden. To me, is not a forward, but he is, you know, a a midfielder you're likely to find playing, you know, out wide for both Manchester City and and England. But there, there's to me, and I don't know how you fix that system, and it kind of doesn't matter. It's just semantics, but that that's the only other thing that can be a little bit misleading sometimes when you look at these squad announcements. Final note on the World Cup topics, maybe, before, and allow us to transition to American sports and, and what's happened in the NFL. But I don't know if you saw Ted Lasso. We've obviously spoken mostly extremely positive about Ted Lasso. We're both big fans of the show, even if season two maybe didn't wasn't quite as good as season one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried that the success of the show is kind of going to the heads of everyone involved in the production, though. And I don't know if you've seen but Ted Lasso has taken out billboards in each of the hometowns of all of the players and staff evolved in the U.S. team for the World Cup, where they have written personalized notes to those players that are then posted on these billboards, wishing them good luck and explaining to them why they are the, the kind of hometown you know, hero and that they will undoubtedly have a great World Cup. I find it a bit cringeworthy, to be perfectly honest. It's it's like the issue with it's taking the Ted Lasso universe where these characters manage to exist in a weird way that you could not in real in the real world, trying to bring it into reality and I think missing the boat. Um, a little bit strange, but nice, I guess, if you're a player and someone's put up a billboard wishing you good luck. But it also... I think it's confusing because it, based on the wording of a lot of the billboards, I've read through a few of them. It makes it seem like these players are all household names that everyone in their hometown would know who they are. In some of these instances where these hometowns are fairly small, that probably is the case, but sometimes it's just like, you're the pride of Chicago. I'm going to guess most people in Chicago don't know who some of these people are, if you see what I mean. But uh, aside from that, the sentiment behind it is nice, but it's a little too gimmicky. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're just probably capitalizing on while they can, you know, because they're only going to do one more season. So maybe they just really want to make sure everyone in America is watching and catching up and going to tune in for that third and final season. You know, it's the same as, you know, they're in FIFA now, right? Which is kind of a strange thing that a fiction. Another thing that annoyed me. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess we can have the two worlds merge a bit. Maybe we kick things off in the NFL with talking about the NFL having its first ever game in Germany this weekend. Obviously it's NFL games being played abroad is now very common. It's been a number of years that games have been played in, in London, there's several games played there a year. There are games played in Mexico city, including one coming next up week. next, next week. Um, so it's not unusual for a game not to be played in the U.S., but this was the first time the game was played in Munich at the, the Bayern Stadium. 
uh, first time in Germany. And there's a commitment overall from the NFL that game, more games will be played there. I think the expectations expectation is that two games will be played there next city next season. And whilst it hasn't been officially announced, it's been all but confirmed that one of those games will involve the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I remember last year on an episode, we spoke about how different NFL teams had kind of snapped up media rights and marketing rights in different kind of regions. The Chiefs have, they're one of the teams with an interest in Germany and outside of Munich airport, they have a billboard up that has Travis Kelsey on it saying that coming soon. So it doesn't quite state what's going on. I thought on Travis Kelsey on his podcast has also spoken about the fact that um, they, the chiefs themselves expect to be playing a game abroad next season. Obviously p- people have been raging about the atmosphere within the stadium kind of in just the overall experience. I think it's gone down really, really well. The game was pretty good, which I think it's lucky. So many of these international games are duds and involving teams. No one wants to see the fact that this is probably two playoff teams playing the first game in the country kind of helps. And also Tom Brady rejuvenated. I mean, looked like a 38 year old Tom Brady out there. Not a 45. Maybe. Maybe 40. <laughs> the only time he looked his age was when they inexplicably decided to shift him out wide and try and have him as a wide receiver. And he Ooh. just slipped and looked like the guy at like, you know, your, your uncle playing in a Thanksgiving bowl who is sort of forgotten that his feet don't move as fast as they used to. Yeah. And is trying to keep up with, you know, his 13 year old nephew. But aside from like- that, it was like we just uh, we have an intramural kickball team. One of the faculty, one of the faculties, maybe mid forties, but he was playing third base, and he thought he could kind of like run backwards and catch a ball down the third base line, and instead just did what you didn't think humans actually do, and kind of just backpedaled and fell over right onto his back, trying to catch it that you think only happens in movies. And then when it happens in real life, you just sit there and laugh and don't even care if they're okay or not. <laughs> but yes, that's exactly kind of what he looked like. He just kind of fell over then and then tried to trip the guy, which, you know, I guess if you got to get him down, you got to get him down. Yeah, no, I mean, in the end, it was probably a smart play by him in in that moment, but it's that was the only blip. And overall, I mean, the Buccaneers dominated that game and somehow allowed the Seahawks to hang around. And then at the very end, it looked like they might actually blow it, although then they kind of that final possession, they had a very controlled drive to just kill the game and go from sort of three and a half minutes left to game over pretty convincingly. But that was a much, much better Buccaneers performance. They solved a number of their problems. One, Tom Brady looked just tons better than he has done in recent weeks. They ran the ball effectively, which is something they've struggled with so much, which then opened up the possibility for them of play action, which is something they just, like they haven't had the threat of running the ball up until now. So play action hasn't worked. And play action is such a great way of giving Tom Brady that extra bit of time and then also taking advantage of his ability to read a defense so you're you're kind of solving a number of your problems through you know one simple fix all of that made them look better and their defense looked pretty good as a whole too so it was easy to watch that game the Seahawks as we've discussed in recent weeks they're legitimately pretty good 
it was easy to watch that game and look at the Buccaneers and say they look like a playoff team again. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I will say, though, I don't watch them and think they could be the NFC's representative in the Super Bowl. I'm nowhere near that still. Um, they did almost let the Seahawks come back and let the Seahawks right back into that game, which was kind of discouraging. Um, you know, and there was a, a time where I kind of thought that the, the Bucks were going to blow it at the end. They didn't, but their offense looked better for sure. They looked more balanced on running the ball and passing the ball uh, and not relying on one or the other. It's definitely a step in the right direction. I, I After watching the Saints and how terrible they played and them, even though their record wouldn't indicate it, probably being the only other threat in that division to potentially win that division, I feel a lot more confident in the Bucks than I do the Saints, but I am not confident in the Bucks beating what I would consider the top tier of the NFC right now. And that's not to say they don't get there, right? Because yeah. I think that's what we're both saying is that they're, they're, they're going in the right direction, but you need to see more improvement on a week-by-week basis here to get back to that level that we, I think both of us expected they would be at. Yeah, and, and Julio Jones coming back helped them, right? I just think Tom Brady needs, when you say he needs weapons, it's not that he needs superstars around him. He's proven that over the course of his career, but he needs people who can just do their job effectively. And at the, for the majority of this season, I mean, we've discussed it on recent episodes with just the drops and stuff. He has not been helped by the people around him. And Julio Jones was at least able to come in and, you know, execute in terms of what he was expected to do. And that kind of changes everything as well. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I didn't look at that. There's some teams that kind of – there was a list of teams this weekend that reinforced some of them are changing my mind slightly. Some of them I already thought were threats to win this, potentially win the Super Bowl. But there are a number of te- teams this weekend that impressed me enough that you kind of watched them and thought, I could see this team winning the Super Bowl. If things went their way, if they produced the right performances at the right time, and this Buccaneers team, you still kind of looked at and went, maybe they'll beat someone in the playoffs, but I can't see them winning multiple games in a row against high-quality opposition. So I guess before we get to some of those teams, there's another team, obviously, that had a big win, and that would be the Green Bay Packers, who now sit at 4-6 and six after beating the Dallas Cowboys, mostly on a nice performance by Christian Watson, the their second-round draft pick out of North Dakota State, who had, I think, what, like 190 yards receiving or something like that, and three touchdowns. Yeah, three or, touchdowns. 20, 120 yards, three touchdowns. Um, so a huge performance by him. He's been hurt most of the season, so now he's back. There's some hope, I think, in Green Bay that maybe he'll be the receiver that can finally step up and and kind of help this offense. But they're still four and six. How much stock do you take into them beating the Cowboys in overtime and turning the season around and potentially backdooring into the playoffs? Um, they have some history of this, right? We've seen them been in trouble in a number of seasons. And then obviously famously the one year where Aaron Rodgers said they would run the table and they proceeded to do so. So you'd say they have a track record of kind of getting to mid season, not looking great. And then just 
getting better, turning things on. I mean, the issue is we talked about it last week. the The schedule is daunting, it's rough. to say the least. They're you know, not Titans, kept... Titans, Eagles, Bears, Rams, Dolphins, Vikings. Yeah, that I mean, is they're a not very very tough schedule. They're not catching the Vikings to win the division. I think this weekend solidified that. Even though the Packers won a game that you would have expected them to lose, the fact that the the Vikings picked up that win against Buffalo, which obviously I think we'll probably discuss after this, but they're not going to catch the Vikings. In terms of actually scraping into the playoffs, I think because of what they're – I'll say this. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment. They play Thursday night against the Titans, and to me that's – the test in a sense, because this Titans team is good, but nothing special. And they are the classic Titans team of the past two, three seasons. Yeah. So if you have a, flaw, be a top three seed somehow, you know, yeah, like, but it, if you have a flaw, they'll expose it, you know, like, and they're well coached and Drable will has, you know, no, doesn't mind Vrabel. being bored. Not what? Drable. Vrabel. That's <laughs> what I said. Drable? No. <laughs> No, Vrabel, like if he, you know, he has no, he's adaptable as a head coach and a, as a play caller and he'll just do whatever, you know, like he'll, he'll just repeat the same play over and over again if that's the thing that's going to kill you. So this to me would be the interesting test. And part of me feels, I don't think that they didn't deserve to beat the, the Cowboys yesterday. I kind of don't know how they won it. They, you know, they were almost dead and buried in that game. And then the Cowboys just allowed them to sneak their way back into it. Also, I have to say, like, I'm obviously not a Packers, I'm not a Cowboys or a Packers fan. There were some questionable calls over the course of that game. I think almost all of them went against the Cowboys. And if you flipped even one of those, but certainly one or two of them, I think the outcome of the game itself would probably be different. So, it was a lucky win. They definitely looked better than they have done in recent weeks. Aaron Rodgers looked somewhat, you know, something like the Aaron Rodgers of old. Not quite there, but he at least also had some enthusiasm over the course of the game. He just looked so miserable most of the time. Or at least it, it looked like he kind of wanted to be out there um, and managed to have that block where he then flexed on people, you know, that was like an okay block people made as far as I was concerned I think people make a way bigger deal of like quarterbacks just kind of standing in the way of a player running who maybe not as doesn't even know that a block is about to come and the guy falling over and people treating it as if they just trucked someone you know like it's not but anyway that's a on a tangent but I think they'll still miss the playoffs I just think because the other equation you just have to do is there's some NF- NFC teams ahead of them who I don't necessarily think are amazing, but just in order for them to close the gap and you look at those other teams' schedules, I'm just expecting some of those other teams to get to 10 or 11 wins without being anything spectacular, and I just can't see the Packers catching them. So then the last one I want to bring up, and I want to know whether you have – I know you probably already have for four weeks ago, but do you officially put the nail in the coffin – of the Los Angeles Rams making the playoffs this year. They are now three and six, now having lost to the Arizona Cardinals in another abysmal performance where they, I mean, granted, yes, they didn't have Stafford, but 
the Cardinals did not have Murray either. And at a point had Trace McSorley in, who I didn't even know was still in the NFL, let alone, <laughs> oh, I guess a third stringer. So maybe he barely is on the fringe. But uh, regardless, I, I mean, that was a terrible performance they put in and got dismantled by Colt McCoy is the is the nail officially in the coffin they are only technically two games back of the last wild card which right now would be the san francisco 49ers at five and four and they are sitting at three and six but two games out still a tough schedule are we done with the rams do we see them any chance yeah i mean as you pointed out i was was done with them a couple of weeks ago and i'm (laughs) yeah i'm done with them and cooper cup's injured now right so yeah. It's unclear well, as to yeah. Thanks to his quarterback, just, <laughs> just putting him on a stretcher, basically. Yeah, Poor but guy. I mean, it's unclear as to whether or not he'll miss time. But you have to imagine if you're the Rams, you you shut him down if there's any risk of long term damage. You know, you're not going to rush Cooper Cup back for a season in which you're almost certainly going to miss the playoffs. So, yeah, I think they're the other so, reason why they're. You know, I, 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 not being Niners Nation, I think the Niners are, are going to continue to win, a, you know, the majority of their remaining games. The Seahawks are feisty enough that they are also going to um, pick up wins. It's just difficult to see what the path to the playoffs looks like for the Rams. Again, even if they fix some of their own problems, which I don't think they will, but they would almost, they're almost in a run the table situation and there's just no way they're good enough to do that yeah i mean they have a slightly easier schedule remaining than the packers do um but at this point i would put the packers having a better chance to make it above the rams i don't think either of them has a great chance but i think i would i could see the packers making the playoffs at this point i cannot see the rams making the playoffs well you know they've they've got odds on that frank so we can we can look if you look at the Packers, the Packers' odds of making the playoffs is a little over three to one. The odds on the Rams making the playoffs is eight to one. So yeah. the bookmakers agree with you in terms of the probability of each one of them being in there. So now I'm going to shift gears to what I'm calling my hot take, which I think you are going to agree with me about what this is. So as the early games wound down and we got to the night games and you had your halftime shows and your pre Sunday night football shows, all the talk in the NFL was about the hands down greatest game of the year so far in the Vikings and the Buffalo bills and how it was the most amazing game. Many people had ever seen. So good, greatest game ever. My hot take is it was not that great of a game. And my reasoning why it wasn't that great of a game is because terrible plays don't make great games. I understand close scores and last second scores and last minute scores make great games, but I don't think they make great games at the cost of terrible decision-making, bad throws, bad plays and stupid play calls. I agree with you. I didn't think it was, I watched the whole game. I didn't think it was, I watched the whole game. I didn't think it was that good of a game. Um, And yeah, it got exciting towards the end. It wasn't exciting for most of it because for the vast majority of the game, the bills were just in total control. Cruise control. 
and then just very quickly things. Look, the Justin Jefferson catch uh, is is probably which, the now, is is probably the best catch I've ever seen. Which one? There was the two. the fourth and eighteen or whatever it was. Fourth See? and twenty. Now I'll I'll argue. I think while he made a nice play, that is an atrocious play by a defender because we talk yes. about it every day. It's you don't fourth need to, and eighteen. You bat you it don't down. Need to intercept the ball. If you, you bat had it just down. Batted the ball. He doesn't even come close to catching it. He doesn't even come close. He could have easily batted it, but instead he tries to make an interception, which would have been worse for his team. Yeah. yeah. And no, no, instead, I, let's Jefferson make an, an a, a, yes, an amazing, beautiful catch, but should never have been in that scenario to be able to make that catch because if you are no, understanding 100%. the game, you knock it. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and look, that's why I, to me, this isn't the greatest game because of mistakes like that. I don't even think to, to to build further on your point. I think if you, I think he not only didn't, you know, he could have easily stopped the catch from being made if he hadn't gone for the interception. I actually think he helped Justin Jefferson make the catch in the way that he went for the interception. Like he helped him maintain possession of the yeah. ball. Where if yep. he had just at any moment in time just given up on, not even try and actively bat it, if he just kind of pulled his hands away and said, "I'm not going to be catching this." Justin Jefferson just drops it as he goes to the ground, but still the body control and stuff involved in it. It's just incredible to be able to hold on to it in the way in which he did. But yeah, I, I know like you should be telling your players before that play, we don't need an interception. Just break it up. Like that's all you need to be doing. Just break it up. We're getting the ball back deep in their half. We're going to be up. We're going to be in a position to put ourselves up multiple scores without moving the ball at all. When we get it back, you don't need to be a hero. You don't need to be, have a sports center play here. Just break it up and we'll be fine. And so, yeah, I agree with you there. And I also, you know, it even annoyed me. It's the kind of the weird thing. You had the Vikings players after you had the uh, touchdown, the go ahead touchdown that they had after the the fumbled snap um, and the final when after the Bills stopped them on the goal line, you had the Vikings defense celebrating like they had made some extraordinary play. You know, like what a heroic, you know, stand from us to be able to get that touchdown. Like you did nothing. It's a bad snap. Allen fumbles it. And yeah, okay, you, you the right guys fell on it in your respect. But it wasn't as if it was kind of defensive quality that resulted in a defensive touchdown. It was simply poor execution on the part of the Bills, which is surprising because Allen is usually so good at, you know, the like QB sneaks and all of those associated things. It's kind of a surprising mistake from them. Um, but yeah, I didn't think it, it was a close game at the end, but it wasn't a good game. Even in the final plays, right? I mean, the Vikings failing to get the go-ahead touchdown, from the situation that they were in initially was poor execution. The bills yeah, then first and goal from the one almost. Yeah. The bills first then goal, the bills then messing up the, the snap. Not great. The Vikings then allowing the bills to kind of march down the field pretty comfortably, like not great defense, like nice execution from the bills, but, and obviously had the controversial non-reviewed catch at one moment in time over the course of that drive. And then that that Josh Allen interception at the end, like it's hard to even work out what he was trying to do. You know what I mean? Like there's moments in a situation where you did not need to be doing that at all. 
it's difficult to work out exactly what was going through his brain. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too, right? Both of his interceptions were very, very bad interceptions. Now, maybe you excuse the first one that was on fourth and two because he was just trying to force something because it was fourth down and the ball is going to get turned over anyway. As it turns out, they re- returned it back for a decent amount, so it, it did cost them a little more than him just sitting on it or something like that, you know, or trying to make a run for it instead of giving them the ball with decent field position. They get it at the one or two-yard line. But that was a terrible throw. And then he tops that by making what could be one of his worst throws he's made in his professional career. I don't think there there was three Vikings players in the area and no Bills players. I mean, the closest Bills player was like five yards in the other direction. Yeah. And and didn't need to. Already in field goal range. It was range. second down. Second yeah. and ten in field goal range. Already in field goal range. So you and with the with the clock situation. They were basically either getting the tie or they were winning. Like they were in a situation where even if they kicked the field goal, you know, time was pretty much going to be expiring. They could have made sure that time was going to be expiring when they kicked that field goal. But in the very least, the, you know, the Vikings were going to be getting the ball back with not a lot of time left on the clock. So you're probably going to have two teams accept at that moment in time that it was going to be the tie, which from the Bills perspective would have actually been okay. You know, they're, in, they're now in a fight to win their division, a fight for playoff seedings, a fight for buys. The tie, you know, come the end of the season, we could look back on that and think, ah, if they just got that tie against the Vikings, this could be the difference between home field advantage. This could be the difference between playing in the wild card weekend or not. Like there's a lot of implications of that bad throw. But overall, I mean, his decision-making, his interceptions over the last two weeks, same against the Jets. Yeah, you know, we spoke about it on the last episode. Yes, the Jets were getting pressure on him, but the actual interceptions he threw were just atrocious. And this is another instance. Like, yeah, maybe the Vikings' defense is is okay, but the moments in which he was making mistakes was not because of something they were doing. Yeah, and, you know, maybe we'll save this for a future episode, but you know, with the game on the line so far, I think in recent memories, the stat is the bills are two and nine in close games in the past two seasons. And, and maybe it's not so much the bills. Maybe it's a little bit of both. (laughs) We spoke about it going into that chiefs game, right? How the one thing the bills would have wanted was a close game to build their confidence because the knock on them is that they're not good in close games. They're great. They can blow a team out by 30 points, but if things get close that they just seem to, you know, tighten up a bit, this is another example of it. I think they're definitely in a category now of where I don't trust them. Like I didn't, Josh Allen is a very good quarterback. That offense is very good. I did not, I didn't trust them when they got the ball back after the Vikings scored, when they got the ball back with, you know, whatever it was, 44 seconds left. I didn't expect them to get into field goal range. They did. Over time, I didn't trust them. They got into field goal range again, and then he throws the bad interception. I just think that's the difference is, you know, when you look at Mahomes, you just have total confidence in the fact in those same situations. And look, Mahomes makes dumb mistakes sometimes too. But, uh, you know, for the most part, you just think, of course, they're going to do this. He's just going to chip and chip his way down. They're going to get the field goal. It is what it is. Josh Allen, you know, last season, it looked like, and the start of this one, it looked like he'd fixed a lot of the problems that he'd had early in his career. 
where the big criticism on him was that he made too many mistakes and, you know, kind of wasn't clutch. And in recent weeks, it looks like you're seeing the Josh Allen that we saw two or three seasons ago and not the Josh Allen that we've seen for the last 18 months. Yeah. And, and I think another team that we'll probably get into it a little bit, uh, is the Niners who are two and zero since getting Christian McCaffrey and well, right? they lost to the Chiefs in the they've he's played three games, but he they traded for him That's right, sorry. three days so, before that Chiefs game. So if you yeah, want to yeah. say in like full weeks with Christian McCaffrey, okay. they're two and zero. Yes, and before we discuss whether final they note just great. final note Go just ahead. on that Bills game though. That's three games in a row now where the Bills do not have a second-half touchdown. That's a statistic that's good. a little bit concerning for... Yep. They're for, like the anti-New York Giants. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we mention that, I guess, you know, with the Niners next week going to Mexico City and we discussed the Buccaneers going to, to G- Germany, I was in Anaheim uh, this week at a conference and I had like a 40-minute Uber ride with someone who had just driven a major executive for the Disney like um, like promotion side. And he said, you know, the entire the guy was really nice and talked to him the entire time. And he was asking about all like the fast passes they have now and how they're getting rid of some of them and they have these new ones. And the person said that Disney is un- unveiling, uh, I think this year or next year, a new plan and it's $90,000 per person. And what this gets you is a 40 day trip around the world to all the Disney spots in all the different countries. You get airfare, hotel stay, and you get special private tours with what they call a plaid. It's a person who wears a plaid shirt that takes you around. And it's all in a one forty day period. You you basically travel to all the different Disney parks for ninety thousand dollars. He said they already have a wait list over five times the amount of people that they have openings for for the first year, and they haven't even officially re- released it yet. <laughs> Uh, that doesn't surprise me, right? People lose their minds for Disney. Uh, I'm trying to work out whether or not that represents any form of value for money. And I guess it does just because no. Disney is so expensive. No well, no, just because Disney is so expensive, right? So if you want to do that, like what would be the cost if you just tried to plan out, I want to go to every Disney site like, and spend a week there, you're probably going to spend that anyway. I guess the question would be, is that including food and drinks or anything or no. So you're spending a hundred and let's say $120,000. So there are uh, 12 total parks. There's California, Florida, Florida, Tokyo, Paris, Hong Kong, and China with a few like in some of those areas. See, I so think you're you... not really traveling. It's, it's not as if you're going to that many different places. I mean, you're literally doing California, Florida, Tokyo, Paris, Hong Kong, and like, and China. Like, that's not that many places you're hitting. No, but I think you would spend ninety thousand dollars 
if you wanted to do that anyway, you'd spend more than that. You know, flights, accommodation, passes to the parks. I think you would spend $90,000 doing that. I mean, for example, I know that to stay in the Marvel Hotel, in which they've just opened up in Paris, in Disneyland, I know that a four-night stay uh, is, I think a four-night stay is $1,200. And I think you have to do a minimum of a three-night stay to even get into it. Now, you're not staying in that as part of this, but it just it's a representative of just how expensive yeah. these parks are now. So saying value for money in the sense if you really wanted if you wanted to have some you know wanted to go to every Disney park out there I don't think that interests either you or I yes for a lot less than $90,000 you could travel to all of those cities and have an incredible experience a much more incredible experience than yes. going to a Disney park and the other thing too you have to consider is you're probably at least traveling as a couple so you're actually looking at $180,000 <laughs> Well, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't guarantee that all the weirdos who are traveling to different Disney sites are necessarily doing it with other people. So I'm not, <laughs> well, that's I'm not just mean, Eddie. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm not confident in that. I do think there are a lot of people who will do that who then have kids and things. So you're, you're, there's going to be some people spending hundreds of thousands Over a of dollars. Million dollars. Yeah. That's crazy. But I mean, if you, absolutely mind boggling. If you've got the money, I guess. And 40 days spare. That's the other issue. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's not 40 together, but he said 40 days around the world. So, I, you know, like I'm getting this second hand from the person who talked to the. The real lesson out of this so. is don't don't tell your Uber driver details because then they the Uber driver tells the next person. And next thing <laughs> yep. you know, it's on a podcast. Now, now it's now it's on a worldwide podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but those people, I think. Maybe you need to think about what you're spending your money on a little bit. I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm not g- trying to be mean to certain people here, but that's a lot of money to spend on an amusement park made up of fictional animation characters. <laughs> Again, here's the thing, right? If you really have that money, I, I still think there's better ways, obviously. You know, the world is in need of a lot more, but if you you have the disposable income necessary where that's just not really something you have to think about. I think the scary thing would be with just the obsession people have over Disney. There's going to be people like mortgaging their houses to yeah. to do this. That's the terrifying element. If you're earning, you know, $40 million a year and you and your family really want to do this strange Disney trip, kind of good for you. Like it doesn't really matter, right? But yeah, there's going to be plenty of people out there with not all that much money who are going to be spending $90,000 to because they have to have every possible Disney experience. Yeah. And I have some more stories along the way, but we can get back to football. Okay. They're just going to, these are just going to get thrown in every once in a while while we talk football. <laughs> yeah. I thought so that let's go back to the Niners. I thought it was an okay performance from the Niners. I don't think it was anything particularly special. That chargers team is, has been so devastated by injuries and continued to be over the course of that game, uh, particularly with their defensive line, which just kind of plays right into the hands of the Niners, right? They were just able to run the ball more and more effectively as the game wore on, um, where I don't, you know, I don't look at that and think, 
that was a statement win in any way from, but at the same time there was early on, I got a little bit worried that it was going to be a pretty important loss. So they at least managed to turn things around, Um, you know, and and they, they look good. They do the things as Kittle gets healthier and Debo is back, you know, that offense, I think that offense should look genuinely pretty scary to other teams in the NFC. And you, yeah, I mean, if you just didn't look at the quarterback, but if that team, in a sense, if that offense works well, (laughs) you don't need to be looking at the quarterback. Eh, you always need to be looking at the quarterback. <laughs> but it's kind of the <laughs> listen. Josh Allen just had to collect the ball from a center, and that game was over, and he still messed it up. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But now I think, uh, yeah, it's encouraging. You know, I'm. I didn't, but yeah, it didn't. That game in, in its that game itself did not move the needle for me in any way. It was just to check in off the list of job done. Like the Chargers are okay, have a ton of injuries. Yeah, Herbert is still good, but you know if if you want to be seriously considered as potential Super Bowl contenders, which obviously putting as yourselves as potential contenders is a bit of a weird uh, category, but if that's the group that you want to be in, then you need to be able to beat this version of the Chargers team. Any other games uh, you think worth mentioning? Um, the Dolphins looked pretty good. Uh, I guess it's worth saying that. This Browns team, it's just so hard to read into them. They're good one week, terrible the next. So it's hard to know exactly what any win or loss to them really means. But the Dolphins look good. I think as the, as the time goes by, they look you know, more and more like they could be difficult to beat in the playoffs. And if you're the Bills... Again, it should be a little bit concerning that you have them in the division and there's no reason to think that they're yeah. going to hand you the division by losing games. So, I mean, the Bills are third in the division right now. Yeah, I, I, I kind of said it in jest. I think it was last episode that it's not inconceivable that the Bills could miss the playoffs. And I don't expect them to, but they could miss the playoffs. Like there is a scenario here in which they slip up one or two more times and they could just miss out. Do you want to hear the crazy scenario right now? If the playoffs were to start next week, every team in the AFC East makes the playoffs. Which I I think could happen by the end of the season. The the big question mark there is the Patriots more than anything, I guess. But yeah, I, I think it's more likely that four teams make it than only two. If you see what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I guess. Uh, Yeah, that's true. I mean, you have the Chargers are right. Same record, but with the tiebreakers as the Patriots. You have the Chargers, the Bengals are both five and four as well. So it's very tight. But if it ended today, the Patriots would be the last one in the playoffs. Um so, yeah. And other games that caught my eye, you know, the Giants got the job done. Again, not spectacular. Did not look great. Nothing to make you think they'd be a difficult out in the playoffs, but they got a win. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, got, they're, they're going to get enough wins probably to sneak in, uh, but they're 
you know, I think there'll be a lot of teams who would look at the Giants and think we'd love to be playing them in January. But yeah, I, I mean, the issue I, we I had uh, my post game debrief with with my dad uh, as we would do after every game, and you know, he is of the mindset, hey, a win's a win, right? You know, like don't don't ever get mad about a win. But I think that's fine if come playoffs you say, hey, we made the playoffs. I don't care if we get blown out this first game. They did great. I was happy that they won this many games. But if you actually want them, I think, or expect them to be contenders to make a run in the playoffs, you have to be winning games better against the Houston Texans than the performance they put in. I, I mean, if they play any team that is a decent team, they lose that game. They were awful on special teams. They ref- What bothers me is they, you should treat good teams, treat games like that as an opportunity to practice and to get better, whereas the Giants are taking that as a chance to win a game. And that's the difference between the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Giants. The Giants, when the third quarter happened and they were winning, their mentality was, we are just going to literally give the ball to Barkley every freaking play until this clock runs out. Daniel Jones had four throws, I think, in the, in the second half. You're not, you're, you're not improving your team by doing that. You're beating a one in six team. That's not going to get you anywhere in the playoffs. You need to start practicing throwing the ball, running the routes that you want to run, doing a two-minute offense when you have two minutes left in the first half or something like, you know, like, and that's what bothers me is you're not going to go into the playoffs and beat the Eagles by saying, hey, we're up seven nothing in the first quarter. Let's try and run out the clock now for the next three quarters. It's not going to work. And that's kind of what is disappointing about the Giants. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism. But, you know, they're they're kind of buying their ticket to the dance, right? And as we've seen, if any team should know how invaluable they can be, it's it's the New York Giants. You know, they've shown in the in this century twice that you you know, the first step towards winning the Super Bowl is making sure you're in the playoffs. And from there on, crazy things can happen. So, I don't think they're going to be I think they'll be done in the first round of the playoffs, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, like you look at a team like the Dolphins, right, at 7-3, and three, and they they don't stop pushing the throttle against the Browns. I mean, every series they got, you think they were just going to start running the clock down and two is throwing 60-yard bombs to Waddle on first and 10, you know? Like they, they, they're going to go for it, and I respect that, and that's what's going to make them better when the time comes down the road. Yeah, no, it's true. And I guess I think a very difficult team. I, I am becoming more and more impressed with the Dolphins. I mean, their offense is sizzling. No, their offense is really good. I still think Tua just has a couple throws a game that look really, really terrible. And so you're just kind of waiting for the mistake to happen there in some respects. But no, I mean, they'll they'll be difficult to beat. And I, I guess we, we kind of focus there the, a bit going back to that Bills-Vikings game. Maybe it's my final note from this weekend's games. We focused very much there on the Bills blowing it. I guess some credit has to be given to the Vikings, even though I don't think that was a spectacular performance. And when, again, when they look good, Kirk Cousins makes some great throws at times. He also randomly just trips over his own center at other times. But, you know, there's... As time goes on over the course of this season you kind of have to take them a little bit more seriously i still don't 
as good as their record is, and the fact that they're definitely going to be in the playoffs at this point, they may well even be getting a bye. I still just look at them and think, yeah, they'll, someone's going to beat them in the playoffs. And, and we spoke about it, right? I said I would be happy for the Niners to be playing the Vikings in round one. I think I'd still be happy for them to play them in round one or round two. But that was, you know, they proved me at least slightly wrong in that game. Because when the Bills were up by 17, I felt like this is everything I ever believed in when it came to the Vikings. Like this is what it looks like when they gum up against sort of playoff caliber opponents. And they they managed to put a comeback together. So then moving on from the NFL, do you want to dive into some more of your your travel stories? All right. So one of the other ones that uh, I thought would be worth mentioning was in another Uber. <laughs> Apparently in California, you have to Uber everywhere because their public transit is, is atrocious. Uh, the Uber I had was a 20-minute Uber where the person had a kind of kind of similar to like like a podcast like he had a youtube channel on where it was like i think it was a youtube podcast channel basically and they were talking about business investments and real estate investments and and this and that and they had like people calling in and they were answering their calls and and this and that and so i was kind of listening to it but then they went on their own little tangent on their podcast or whatever we would we would call it where they said that they were being called uh, someone had called them their root beer float and that it was their indulgence to, to listen to their podcast like they do like a good root beer float. And then they argued who is the root beer in the scenario and who is the ice cream in the scenario that makes up the root beer float of their podcast. And that got me to thinking, Eddie, if we were a root beer float, who's the <laughs> ice cream and who's the root beer? I think and there's only one answer. <laughs> I think you're the ice cream. Thank you. You're the root beer because you're just bitter at heart. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it in that respect, but I'll still take you're it. You're bitter yeah. and bubbly. <laughs> I would. I would say yeah. It was. It's pretty clear in this dynamic that you'd be the ice cream. Yeah, you're. You're quite the tonic. <laughs> and Sam is the. I don't know what he is at this point. I was I was going to say melt the straw, the melted <laughs> ice, but you wouldn't even have ice in your root beer float, would you? So no. straw would make him too useful and functional. <laughs> he's the uh, he's the. He's know the I know what Sam is. I know what Sam is. Oh no, that's a milkshake. Damn! If we were a milkshake, he's like that extra little part they give you when they can't pour it all in, and they give you like the cup that has like. Fifteen oh. percent left of the, like the milkshake. He's like the cup that just holds the extra. <laughs> uh, he was he was the, he's the can the root, the root beer came in, and he's now discard, discarded and been sent for recycling. <laughs> he's been discarded to to hooliganism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Currently being used to bash someone's head in. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll come back as a baseball bat and can be more useful to his his new fans. So the other one I had um, that kind of got me thinking was I then was at a brewery and there was two bathrooms, a men and a women's bathroom. 
and there was quite a line for both. There's only one door and the men's bathroom, like someone would go in and then lock the door. It wasn't like, you know, like multiple things, you know, people were just going in. It was like a, a locked bathroom situation. So I went in and then I noticed that there was in this bathroom, a sink and then a urinal and then a toilet, but no stall separating the urinal and the toilet. In this scenario, if there's a line, do you turn behind you and go to the next guy in line and say, hey, there's a second toilet in here if you want to go while I go in the urinal? Um, <laughs> probably not. Okay. <laughs> probably not, but I don't know. Maybe. I guess what it would What if it's depend. like a friend? What if it's like a friend? A friend, 100%, yes. A stranger, okay. maybe not, just because people get really weird when you try and interact with them in the bathroom, you know, like, yeah. particularly some guys get, like, very, like, they assume that you're then hitting on them. It's, like, a very weird dynamic, right, with, amongst men in the in the bathroom. Like, any form of interaction and communication is taken with a great degree of skepticism. So, I don't, I would say I probably don't. A friend, 100%, I do, yeah. Okay. It's a very weird bathroom situation when they have that. Like, I don't know why they decide to put the urinal in if it's a single user bathroom. Like, are 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 men that I don't are they that bad at peeing that they need the urinal? They can't pee into a toilet. Is that why you do that? Or do people or do men get so excited when they go in that they want them to be excited to use their bathroom? Like, I don't get why you would do that. Why put a <laughs> urinal into a, a single a single bathroom? Yeah, it's a little strange, but I'm I'm sure there's some guys who much prefer it to me. I have no preference or issues with either, but I'm I'm sure there are listeners out there who who much much prefer the urinal experience. Or, That's so weird to say. <laughs> I'll say I use my, both. I went back and simultaneously. Forth. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say that from my. My uh, travel was, for the most part, pretty uneventful, which is was, was was nice, as I often have hiccups whenever I've got any form of sort of decently long travel. Not actual in, hiccups. It's yeah. not like a physiological mechanism you get hiccups. I did go into the lounge uh, on, on my way to London. I was in the lounge waiting for my train. and okay. uh, For the Eurostar. For the Eurostar, yeah. And uh, not a great lounge, not really worth it, but, you know. Free drinks. Free drinks. That's all it has to offer. No food. It's got chips and snacks and stuff, but like nothing of any quality. So it's just free drinks. Like that's that's it. And a place, guaranteed place to sit, which you might not be able to get otherwise. Um, but annoying the number of people who are willing to have, like uh, one thing that I've noticed post-pandemic and just with the how used to like zoom calls and stuff people are with meetings. I know what Pe- you're going to say, and I hate people's it. openness to just have like a meeting, just like sat around people and just be loudly talking on a, on a meeting. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it from it's they, you have to know how annoying it is for everyone else around you. And also like you definitely have every other person on your call who can hear background noises and stuff like it's just off-putting like i can definitely get joining a meeting where you know you're not going to speak much 
like, hey, we can, I'll join in on this meeting. I'll be in an airport lounge or whatever. I won't talk, but I'll listen to whatever's going on. If this is information I probably need. Otherwise, just reschedule your meeting. Like know that know where you're going to be. But the, the wilder thing that I saw take place, no food, as I said, served in the lounge. But uh, these two well-dressed women, probably late 20s, early 30s, came in and sat near me and then called over one of the sort of attendants that's within the lounge. You come and take away your drinks or get anything if you need anything specific. Gave them Burger King, gave them some Whoppers that they had bought, obviously, elsewhere in the station, and then asked if they could go and heat them up for them. So this woman went away, reheat, reheated their Whoppers, and then brought them back to them on plates, and then they ate their Whoppers in the lounge. It was a very weird exchange. That's really weird. I mean, yeah, that's just weird. I, and on a, on a fast on a fast food note, we obviously had a while where we were pretty heavily focused on the chicken sandwich wars in the U.S. Most of which, you know, I have not been able to test out, having been in in Europe, where a lot of those franchises simply do not exist. But there, we near the West Ham Stadium, there is a Popeyes, and I did you try you know, it. I, I went and got a Popeye's chicken sandwich before the game. It was good. I, I also um, walked in and did not. I saw the like touch screens that you have to order from. Yep. Saw those. Saw one of them was like had one guy standing in front of it. So I just walked behind him. He just finished his order. I put my order in, paid. And at that moment in time, I turned around and realized that there was a line of maybe 120 people. that I had just just not noticed. Like I had just walked in and gone, Oh, there's the touchscreens and just done. And there were just people staring at me. But at that moment, and I apologized and said, I'm sorry, but also like I've paid for my order now. Right. Like there's, there's no way for me to undo this unless one of you wants to have exactly what I just ordered. I can't fix this problem. Like, and I couldn't imagine one of your friends who was in attendance if he were in that line. And I'm that stabbed. Was... <laughs> I'm stabbed. <laughs> you would have gotten thrown in front of a bus or something. <laughs> yeah. That would have been su- that would have been sufficient cause for murder and he would have gone to trial and and sort of expected to be let off. Oh but I did God. feel I did you feel bad. You have to bad. feel so bad, right? Cuz it, like it's like a genuine mistake and no. you can't you can't undo it cuz you yeah. already paid. Like you can't like be like Oh, I'll take this back now. You know, like, oh, and, that is that is. And bad. you can tell that I'm. I don't know what percentage of them. I, I I'm guessing at least a lot of them saw me not even look at the line when I came in, but there, I'm sure there were plenty of them that just thought I'd done it on purpose and got away with it. But I really, I just it wasn't until I turned around, and the only reason I then really started to realize is like they had a section where they kind of corralled you, which is where you waited for your order to be. You know, finished, but that you was like skip a... that. Do you just grab the first chicken sandwich <laughs> that came out? It wasn't even your name. Ate it. No, that wasn't mine. Wait for the next one. But now it was. Yeah, it was good. And and look, that saved me probably forty five minutes. So that also significantly increased wow. my uh, Popeyes experience. That is so funny. 
That's crazy. I, I also thought what you were going to mention too is I think post pandemic, I've seen more of this, the lack of headphones in public places. So being in an airport, I, you know, obviously you're surrounded by people and there was people just watching YouTube on their phone, blasting yeah. it. I don't understand. Can it's, I? It's, oh. Uh, and I'm going to add an, an extra level to that. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw out something that I'm sure is going to get a major backlash. I'm going to say this is a non-parent. Just because it's a kid doesn't mean you can, <laughs> doesn't mean you can give your kid your phone or your iPad or whatever and let them watch their show and not have it be fucking annoying for everyone else around you. And I don't have to tolerate it just because you're too much of a lazy parent to engage with your child while you're waiting for your train or your plane. That's not my I fucking fault. I love this hot take. This is a dick you will die on. <laughs> and I'm sure as a non-parent, there's going to be a lot of people out there telling me I'm wrong, that I don't know how uh, difficult it is, whatever. I get you. But you don't You don't get carte blanche to just have your kid be an asshole because they're under the age of 12. Like that does not mean uh, that you can. That I, I can't I, wait. Keep, can we we got to stick a fit in this for when Ollie comes on. I mean, I don't know if he's guilty of it. If it is, I'll call him out. And I'll say, my own sister is guilty of this. I spent, I went to a restaurant with her while I was in London. And, you know, you're kind of, you've got a child, you know, like a a five-year-old kid struggling to, you know, with feeling like a lack of attention while you're all eating, just gets handed a phone and then on goes a YouTube video and everyone else in the fucking restaurant has their brunch ruined. Because we got to, it's not like kids listen to on I love how angry this makes you. Oh, God. Just listeners for reference. Eddie yells at his plants if they grow too loudly. (laughs) This is how bitter. This is why he's the root beer in the float. (laughs) But it's not like every kid's program is annoying, right? The noises and everything. So it's not as if, it's not as if these kids are then interacting with, sort of things that don't disrupt your experience. I felt embarrassed to be like sitting at the table. I was like, these, these people are going to look at me and think I'm the <laughs> asshole parent who, who thinks this is okay. And I want to, uh, I want to smash the phone just as much as you do. But yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, and again, there's moments I'm not saying I'm, I'm very tolerant of the fact that kids make noises and, and all sorts of things. I'm not, I'm not going that far, but just this acceptance that we have now that, your kid can just watch a YouTube video at any moment in time and we've all got to listen to it. It's not good. I'm surprised you even allow children out before the age of 14. Don't get me wrong. No kid like planes, no kid train carriages, whatever. I'm all in favor of it. Oh, unless they get first class like you did when you were a child. (laughs) Then it's okay. I behave myself. (laughs) Okay. So I, gave I mean, look, it was a different time too. I mean, we didn't have toys like that. I mean, I had a Game Boy as a kid, but for, I'll put it this way. There was no more, there was no way in hell my parents were going to let me play my Game Boy in public with the sound the noise on. on. Like that was, yeah, play your game. For game Boy. Yeah. But even if you didn't have headphones, it was like, yeah, play your Game Boy, but you're, you're turning the sound off. Like it's not, you're going to have to learn to, yeah, you can play with your toy, but like 
you're in public now. This is adapt to the surroundings. Whereas it feels like we've just accepted this world where it's like anyone under the age of 10 just can do whatever they want. Ah, Eddie, speaking, I'm going to get, I'm going to veer you off this topic before you get every person in the world angry at you. And again, if you disagree, anyone if, with children, <laughs> if you're a parent and you disagree with me, you can come and tell us, follow the Big Chill Podcast on Instagram or Twitter, and you can go and tell me what idiot I'm there. Give us five stars. And if you give us five, that means you we understand you don't agree with Eddie. Five stars will, means you don't agree. <laughs> I will say it's something we don't ask listeners to do regularly. If you do like the podcast or if you do listen regularly, if you could just leave us a review or a rating, it does help us with our podcast rankings. It helps us to get new listeners. Not something that we ask you to do very often, but if you do listen you know, whatever podcast app you're using probably has some kind of rating or review system. And if you can just leave it, it helps us out. All right. You can move it. I have to, especially if well, I've, if I've really annoyed you with my parent rant, then maybe wait till the next episode to leave the review. Maybe, you know, you talked about Game Boy and, and that, you know, reminds me of nostalgia and one of my favorite movies growing up or franchise movies was obviously the Mighty Ducks. And we we covered season one quite extensively to our detriment. <laughs> yeah, you think you think my parent ran annoyed listeners? The multiple episodes we spent on the Mighty Ducks annoyed them even more. Season two is just more inconceivable with how ridiculous some of the things are. But I just have to mention this because it was just mind boggling to me that they thought this whoever wrote this into the the uh season they thought this made sense so they're having basically i'm not going to give much premise, but season two they're at a hockey summer camp and it's in la and long story short the pretty much the team sucks and they get to go there somehow and then they have a tournament at this camp and the same players get drafted onto the same team. So they're like still the mighty ducks now in this camp and they're terrible and they get blown out every game. She calls in a favor and they get to go to the Honda center where the mighty ducks, the real Anaheim ducks play and practice. And she gets them in there thinking like, this is what's going to turn them around. She gets a private tour of the arena and this is what's mind-boggling. This is what they have in the arena. He's showing them like the locker rooms and like the front office and this and that. And then he takes them into a room that is the room before they go out onto the ice. And in this room of the professional Anaheim Ducks is pictures of all the original Mighty Ducks, the kids. <laughs> from the first season I remember the first season from the first movie and then when they played in the junior goodwill games not the olympics not the junior olympics the junior goodwill games this room just has pictures of all of them surrounding it and then in the middle of this room is a gold puck that is standing on a platform like sitting on a platform and he then goes on to say that indeed yes you are correct in what you thought this puck is this is the actual puck that he shot the knuckle puck in disguised as a goalie against team iceland in the finals to win them the junior goodwill games they have now made it a gold puck and all of the professional hockey players 
walk by this puck and touch it for good luck because that's just how special of a puck this is. Who on earth thought that could actually happen in any <laughs> way, shape, or form in professional sports? I mean, I guess the I guess the counter to what you're saying is, is this the most unrealistic thing you've seen within the Mighty Ducks franchise? But yeah, I mean, that's insane. Now, here's the worst part. How would you react if it then turns out that really does exist in in the in the Anaheim <laughs> Ducks stadium? I mean, it's it, it's. I don't know who would ever have thought that. Like this, you know, it'd be really cool. Let's do this. Professional hockey players are going to touch a puck from a random international competition of fourteen-year-olds that was won by Team USA that happened to be a bunch of minnesota duck players that's the other thing too is they're from minnesota these players they're the minnesota ducks yeah it's not a local team like it's not a story that really captured the hearts of the local community yeah to think that a professional team is has some relevant like some significance to this puck that they've gold plated it and put it on a pedestal (laughs) it was the dumbest thing i've ever seen in in a sports movie so are you out on the TV show then? Oh, no way. I'm, I'm full in. <laughs> so not dumbest thing you've ever seen, but you're still going to watch. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Well, I will not be joining you. And I can now reassure listeners that will be the final time that we discuss the Mighty Ducks. And it's sad because they had professional hockey players on it. They had the... Zegris, who's now he's the cover of NHL, the hockey game, and he was actually in the episode. And I mean, they're getting people on it, and it's awful. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the review. Sad downfall. All right. I, I mean, I guess the other story from the news that we haven't mentioned, and we probably should have when we we're discussing the Premier League, was the the Cristiano Ronaldo situation and the interview that he had mm. that came out with Piers Morgan. I guess we can save that maybe as the in the first topic that we'll have then as part of the, the World Cup discussion, just an overall little kind of icebreaker with Ollie as we talk about the world of football. We can ease into things with, with the Ronaldo situation. Our opening with Ollie. Exactly. Keep the alliteration. Yeah, we do know how you love it. And you, how you love discussing openings with Ollie, so it works well. If only Sam were still around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? No, I think that about wraps it up. I'm uh, getting very excited for for World Cup. I already have my calendar marked down for about three or four matches that I've canceled all meetings for because I know once I start watching at 11 a.m., it probably won't die down till about 11 p.m. So, you know, I've I've marked out some days. I'm I'm getting ready. Day after Thanksgiving, I've marked off. 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. the next day, 24-hour block I've put in there. I mean, on the days when other sport is taking place, right, it's going to be pretty incredible because that's the thing that doesn't normally really happen. You might have like NBA playoffs and stuff sometimes coinciding, but the fact that you're going to have you're going to have Sundays that are going to have NFL football plus some World Cup games, that's going to be. It's. I mean, I'm I'm preparing myself to be exceptionally tired as a result of all of this, just because, you know, you look, I look ahead to next Tuesday, for example, there's four games on next Tuesday. 
So that's my time, 11 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night is World Cup games. And then if that happens on, you know, a, a game a day when there's any other sport of mention, I could be looking at easily 14 hours straight of sport without without trying to find something. Is that the most matches on a day is four? I think so. That's quite a lot. Yeah. Are they, is, is it doubled up then? So I think they had to originally write, there were supposed to be multiple games on the day when they, the first opening day of the tournament. And then they shifted that to only being one. Yeah. And I think as a result of that, I think the, the four games oh, on the Tuesday is, is like when there should have been two games on the Because usually they day. don't overlap, which is nice. There's until not much the f- overlap of games. Yeah, until the final set of fixtures. Yeah. Like the final which group is games nice. overlap to avoid uh, any advantage, right? But Yeah. I mean, the only disappointing thing I think for a lot of pe- Americans for that will be it will be – it's nice if you can kind of go – to a pub early to watch a match and then have that like the match you want to watch. And then that ends. And then you have like an additional Another. one that's kind of going on that you can, you know, oh, watch no, that's, and not that's, watch the, and... that's the best thing in the world. That's why yeah. I'm, you know, I'm looking ahead to, for example, to England's opening game. That's two o'clock for me. So that's great. You're going to go into a pub at two. That match is done around four. And then you got two matches afterwards, but they're matches I don't really care about, but it means you're in the pub Enjoying well, some Wales drinks. US, you don't care about? Not particularly. That's actually that's actually a big matchup. I mean, that could decide who moves on. <laughs> For Wales in the US, it's big. Yeah. For the rest of the world, yeah. who cares? Gareth Bale versus some overconfident, you know, so and so's. Wow. So and so's. Wow. <laughs> Shots fired. Anti-American Eddie. Overconfident. So and so's. Is that their? Uh, is that their hashtag this year? <laughs> yeah, I'll try and get that trending. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, with that, I guess we'll call it a day. Okay, see you. See you.